Welcome to the 30th episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. Amber Kluwer here, and I'm flying solo on this episode. While Ryan is geeking out with medical school, I hit the road and scored an interview with a lovely woman who has quite the complicated diagnosis story. There wouldn't be no Alamo No Cowboys in the Super Bowl Well, as many of you know, I love to travel. So when I'm out and about, I do my best to meet up with other folks living with diabetes. So while visiting friends in San Antonio, Texas, I reached out to their local American Diabetes Association chapter to see if anyone in their part of town had a story to share. And man, they totally hooked me up with Deidre Murphy, who went from an original type 2 diagnosis to eventually becoming a type 1. Neither diagnosis kept her from living life, working hard, while still going to school. She's quite the trooper and does a fabulous job of sharing her story. But before we get started, uh, as usual, we just have a few quick announcements. Um, As we always say, if you will please click on the Amazon banner link on the right side of our website at diabetesdailygrind.com, your purchases throw a little change back our way and help keep the podcast coming. So before you start spending, don't forget to click. Um, We'd also like to throw out that we're always looking for guest contributors. Whether you want to write for us or be a podcast guest or co-host, we'd love to hear from you. So shoot us an email with your ideas at info at diabetesdailygrind.com. And one final announcement that we're really happy to share um, is we finally have swag. We officially have Real Life Diabetes t-shirts, and I will be sure to put in in the show notes a picture of us wearing them at a recent JDRF event. Um, So if you leave us an iTunes review and it's chosen, then we will send you some swag and maybe even a picture of Ryan. So happy listening. Hope you enjoy the show. All right, here we go. So I'm going to start okay. by saying um, to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast audience that this is the first time I have in my life done this by myself. So we hope that you actually get this and it sounds okay. Um, and I want to also share that as I'm here in San Antonio, a kind of impromptu situation came about. So again, as you know about us, nothing scripted. I've got a couple of notes here just um, of our impromptu, fe- impromptu featured guest, and we'll just see how things go. So hope you enjoy this show. So I'm lucky enough to be here with my new friend, Deirdre um, Murphy. Yes. And um, so just so you can know the background on this, uh, I was lucky enough to meet Hannah, uh, a new ADA fo- uh, person here in Oklahoma City. And when I said I'm going to head to San Antonio. I said, do you know anybody in that area that would maybe like to join the podcast? And she sent a series of emails and Deirdre was smart enough, dumb enough to (laughs) (laughs) agree to share her story. So we're looking forward to this. So um, I'm going to start off with doing a little bit of an introduction and then we'll have her chime in. So Deirdre was diagnosed, misdiagnosed um, with type 2 diabetes in what year? 2001. 2001. And Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about what led you to going to the doctor at that point? 
So I uh, was in a situation where I was constantly tired, um, feeling run down, um, talking to family members about it. Almost everybody on my mom's side of the family has thyroid problems. Okay. And so um, they were all like, okay, you really need to just go get the thyroid checked then. Mm -hmm. Like right around that time is when um, both my uncles, my aunt, um, were diagnosed all within like three or four months, right around the same time. Um, my mom had been diagnosed with thyroid disease like three or four years earlier. My grandmother right around the same time. So literally like my mom's entire side of the family. Um, and actually subsequent to that later now, my sister also deals with thyroid issues. So, um, Thankfully, so far, I don't have that problem. <laughs> um, but at the time, you know, went to the doctor to kind of find out, hey, what's going on? Like, I'm taking a nap every afternoon after work. Hmm. I'm, you know, have no energy to get up and go and do anything, etc. And so one of the things that she started out with was, well, you're, you're obese, literally. And I was. I weighed probably somewhere in the range of 275 or so at okay. that time. Um, and I'm tall, I'm 5'11", yeah. so like it wasn't outrageous weight, but right. it was still really heavy. So, yeah. um, you know, so she said, that's t number one. She said, so what I'm going to do, she goes, I'll test the thyroid, but I'm also going to do some diabetes testing. Um, was this your regular physician? Like It your, was, okay. my primary care physician, right. uh, who I had been seeing at that point, for, since, um, I'm trying to think I moved to San Antonio in 1995. Okay. And so I probably started going to the doctor in like 97, maybe is probably when I had insurance finally. <laughs> so I think that's probably when I started going to the doctor was like 1997. So, um, you know, I had already been seeing her for three or four years. So I was right. already familiar with her and trusted her, et cetera. Um, and so eventual diagnosis was type two diabetes. Um, I so think did, what was your blood sugar? Do they, do you remember what it was at that point? Um, I have like this vague memory of her telling me it was like 150 or 160, which is not too like alarming, that, which That's is not bad. Right. It's not completely outrageous now that I know yeah. I, I say that it's not completely outrageous. Um, but I guess, you know, to her, she felt like that was enough to actually give me the diagnosis. Right. Um, as opposed to doing, saying, Hey, let's wait another few while and mm -hmm. do the test again or anything like that. So, um, put me on metformin. Um, very common type two diabetes drug. Um, and I don't remember now how much to be honest. Yeah. Um, but she put me on the metformin and had me start with that and was pretty much, Hey, you need to lose weight. I'm like, Did she, she tell very you a number specifically about like it. Um, you know, I don't think there was an exact number mm -hmm. in terms of the weight, but she was, you know, definitely, and, and we had a conversation. I played sports when I was younger, mm -hmm. um, high school and kind of in college, but not organized in college. Right. <laughs> and, and I was usually around 175. Right. So that, that, you know, so to me, I knew I had gained a whole lot of weight 
part of that was moving to San Antonio. So Enjoying for the great people food. who know anything about <laughs> San Antonio and its food, um, you know, yeah, I was enjoying the great food in <laughs> San Antonio, trying to stay away from, I never liked Big Red. They made me try that on my first day oh, that God. I lived in San Antonio, but I'm not a Big Red fan. So, um, but, um, so I was never a big um regular soda drinker so i never had that problem <laughs> but definitely had a problem with all the mexican food and the uh, good food etc so I tres usually... leches cake you know <laughs> those kinds of things so um so yeah so hmm. um it kind of so i knew so i was like all right then let's let's set about doing this i joined gym i you know started getting involved in doing some 5Ks and just getting out there and walking and moving and that kind of well, thing. Well, let me ask you, so she, when you, this, your physician told you, okay, I believe this is type two, here's metformin, you need to lose weight. Let's just say she said, I need you to lose 50 pounds to get to this point. Was it like you flipped a switch or were you like, this sucks and God, now... Did you blame her? I feel like right. people with type two, and this is a generalization, so no offense to anyone, but it's... You're, you're shamed. Sure. I, I brought this upon myself because of what people think is an unhealthy lifestyle. Right. So. And most definitely, I think I felt that way. Right. But there, and I don't know if it's, um, you know, I think part of it was she, I felt like what she was telling me was, take these pills for a while, lose the weight and you're going to be better. Good. And, and so I think because she said it like that yeah. or in whatever terminology she actually used at the time mm -hmm. that I, I was like, okay, then that's what I'm going to do. Cause I most definitely don't want to have diabetes the rest of my life. Right. I mean, that was my thought process yeah. was, Oh sure. If I can get rid of it. Okay, great. Because I didn't know anything about it. My family, there's no incidence of it in my right. family at all. Um, or I should say, I didn't know there was any incidence of it in my family. Um, obviously, we've got other endocrine issues with everybody with their thyroid problems. Right, right. Um, but nobody knew anything about diabetes. And we've, we've later found out great uncles and aunts had <laughs> it. But, you know, nobody really talks about that. So, right. um, so so we knew nothing about it. So mm. I figured, okay, the doctor knows what she's talking about. You yeah. know, we're supposed to trust our doctors. Right. Um, and so I did. And so I, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And so within a year, um, well, no, I take that back. Probably within a year I had lost a good 50 pounds. That's awesome. Um, and, and when I went back to see the doctor, she was like, well, she goes, I think we were going to keep you on the medicine still because um, your blood sugar was high. And what was the reason? And for I that? think that's why I think okay. the fasting blood sugar was still, you know, 130, 140, right. somewhere in that range. And so she's like, no, we're going to keep you on the meds a little longer, keep working at losing the weight. And I think at that point was probably, Hey, lose some more. Yeah. Um, you're doing well. If 175 is really the goal, let's work let's toward that. that. Right. But it takes time, obviously. I mean, that was, we're talking a hundred pounds, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, let's look at that. And so I think, and it's, there's some vague memories in there cause it's a weird amount of years. Right. But <laughs> I was feeling better. I had, I was starting to lose weight. I was feeling better. No longer um, lethargic. I went right. I didn't have as much lethargy anymore. I mm. didn't feel like the mood swings were gone. Right. Um, you know, all of that. And so, and I figured, 
okay, I'm working at losing weight and this is good. And, and I pretty much within two years. So by 2003, I'd say I had pretty much lost almost the hundred pounds by that point. Right. Um, and that's um, a, congratulations on that because that's a huge thing to yeah, do. Especially and by yourself. I mean, I've gained parts of it back at this point, <laughs> but at the time it was a great accomplishment. So, um, and, um, and yeah, it was, it was good. Um, and I was feeling okay, but the blood sugar was still testing. Were they, okay. Let me ask you this. Did your physician tell you with the diagnosis of type two, you're supposed to test on a regular basis? She did, but it, she, I don't ever remember her saying, oh, test like every day right. or anything like that. Right. And I think, you know, at the time I was, you know, in a situation where I was working in a, in like a temp to permanent position. Um, and then, events, yeah, they're expensive. crazy expensive. Yeah. Um, and, and during that time, actually, like right after that is when I started, I currently work for the city of San Antonio. Um, and I started working for them in 2002. Mm -hmm. So, and finally had semi decent insurance. <laughs> so, um, but that didn't necessarily encourage me to check any more often right. just because I could afford them now didn't necessarily make me check any more often because there wasn't anybody there checking up on me on any kind of regular basis. It's basically like you going back to the doctor and then saying, here's your, you've either done what we've asked you to do. Your numbers are different, but they're not asking you in the initials. And we, that you're not the first person to right. say this with type two is that, you should be testing every single day to see if it's making a sure, difference. Sure, most definitely. And I firmly believe today, knowing what I do know now, that was a doctor who hadn't had any education on diabetes. Right, right. And, and the unfortunate part is that exists, that still exists today, 15 years later. There are plenty of primary care physicians out there who are looking at folks and diagnosing diabetes without really knowing enough about it yeah. to be able to get their patients to the resources that are out there that we can use. Well, here's the thing with that too, is Ryan being in medical school and we talk about this often on the podcast is that, uh, and I'm not going to say unfortunately, but the physicians are doing the best that they can with the knowledge that they have. And yes, they everything are. is changing daily. So when you say, I think that you have this and move forward with it. They may not know the best way to treat you at that point. Right. So. I almost, and, and I think the challenge too becomes in some ways that, um, and, and I'm an advocate for people visiting an endocrinologist. Yeah. So, um, that's the person who specializes in it. That's the person who knows they've gone <sighs> to school for it. They've studied it. They've specialized in it. They continue to study it and research it mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. So, so I'm a huge advocate when when other people that I meet tell me, oh, yeah, my primary care physician. And I'm like, well, have you ever seen an endocrinologist? And I, and I, not to put down the world of primary care physicians right. whatsoever, because that's totally not what I mean. Yeah. I, you know, love mine. I continue to see <laughs> her, right? But, and a different one than I had then. But, um, but you know, it's just... It, 
it's a matter of, I feel like the endocrinologist is the specialist. They're the person who knows about diabetes. So if you've been diagnosed with that, it's the same way as if you, if your primary care physician diagnoses you with skin cancer, you're going to to a dermatologist. Why wouldn't you? You're not going to assume that that person can treat it. So, um, but I do think it's hard in today's world with insurance and the cost of medical care, et cetera, that, that, not everybody has the money to go see a specialist. I understand that. I've, yeah. I'm super blessed to have great employer-driven insurance. Yeah. Um, but I know not everybody does. So. Well, and I'm going to throw in some show notes on that because in getting to know the folks of Novo Nordisk and a couple of other large pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. I feel like unless you have the time and the energy to and the knowledge essentially to research what you need, you may not know those resources are available. So I'm going to put right. a couple of links in there. So for anybody that maybe is newly diagnosed or doesn't know, there are actually resources out there that are available or they can point you in the right direction. So I want to kind of flip the switch a little bit. So you've now lived with what you think is type two for a bit and all of a sudden things change and what, what's things, going on? Things did change and you know, of course I can say it now looking back on it. Right. And when you're in the moment, you don't pay attention to it. We all know that we've all been sick and not paid attention to it. So, um, you know, when I look back on, um, so I was re-diagnosed in 2006. And when I go back and I look at probably the two years before that, Mm -hmm when I look at certain events that happened and I talk to friends about what was going on at that time, I was sick and I just didn't realize it or I was in denial about it or some combination of the two, uh, more than likely, but I was thirsty all the time. Mm -hmm. I was drinking a huge, tremendous amount and I wasn't really drinking good things. I was, Sodas you know, or um, I was drinking a lot of diet soda. No, yeah. you know what? I've never been, I've never been an alcohol person. That's I good. really like, I, you know, the occasional beer, that's about it. Um, but, um, I, so there's family issues with that. So I stay away from it as no much worries. as I can. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I, uh, You know, so it's a matter of, for me, I look back on it and I'm like, yeah. And I was having incontinence issues and things like that. I mean, I would be in, I'd be in the middle of giving a training because I was a trainer at the time and, and like set them to start on an activity because I had to go to the bathroom so bad because I had been drinking however much I had been drinking. And so, you know, I felt like I was constantly like interrupting life to go use the restroom or yeah. to, you know, um, I was stopping to get a drink constantly. I was spending a lot of money on, you know, the convenience store, you know, 34 and 44 ounce cups so of, right. of diet soda usually, um, which obviously isn't going to quench thirst. And yeah. I mean, I, I knew that in the back of my head, but I was like, no, I'm just thirsty. I need something. Um, drinking, still drinking lots of water and was losing weight again, which I was thinking, oh, good, I'm losing weight. And I was trying. And you're so, still working out at you this know, point. So right. I was still working out and doing healthy things and trying to still keep the weight down and stuff. Um, and when I go back and look at pictures of myself, you know, like to the average person, you'd look at it and you go, wow, yeah, I looked good. I was down to like 165, 170. I was like, oh my God, I'm like in size 12s. Like, what is that? (laughs) You know, um, I was, you know, 
but now knowing what I know now, when I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, like for a good two years, probably lived that, that way. Okay. Let um, me ask you just because I was diagnosed at age eight and the pictures of me in that time period and the months <laughs> leading up to it, my eyes were hollow. I mean, mm-hmm. I was a corpse, the dark circles and everything. So as an adult and as a woman, because we're, staring at ourselves. I mean, did you notice any physical changes in your, your face? Um, you know, I probably had the dark circles, a part of that could have been allergies. Yeah. I I also think I've never been a great sleeper. Okay. So, but even looking back on it with that is that I was thirsty and going to the bathroom. So of course I was getting up a couple times a night to go to the bathroom. Um, and so I wasn't sleeping real well. And so mm. I attributed dark circles under my eyes to the fact Getting that I wasn't out. sleeping well. Um, you know, I, for the first time in my life, I was wearing size 12 clothing. I was like, wow, this is exciting. You yeah. know, so, so I think I wasn't noticing the bad parts of appearance. Right. Um, my, I definitely was losing hair by the handfuls yeah. and, and I know on a podcast, people don't see you, but I have a lot of hair. We'll, um, we'll take a picture. And, <laughs> we'll take a picture together. Yeah. I have a lot of hair. You've got a lot of great curly um, hair. And so I still lose a lot, but yeah. I was losing much more than, yeah, my hair was not as nice as I think it is today. (laughs) Um, no, I mean, it just, you know, it, there were definitely issues with the hair too. So, so I look back on it now and go, okay, yeah, I see those issues. Um, I don't know that I would call it corpse. Like I've seen other children. Mm -hmm. So I know what you're talking about when you refer to yourself that way. Um, I don't know that I saw that. I also, I've always had super rosy skin and I think my skin probably was not as rosy at the time. Um, so, so yeah, when (laughs) I go back and I look at photos of myself, then, um, it is. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Okay. I was sick and had really had no idea. Okay. So you're Um, okay. Let's go back. You're now you're at what age? So, um, so yeah, like in my early thirties, you're peeing all so, the time. The freak. You, you want to drink everything possible. Yeah. Um, you had the weight loss. So the common symptoms of type one. And so what took you into going to? So what actually ended up happening is um, I um, it it ended pretty suddenly and scarily for a lot of my friends. I really felt like I had. Um, I thought I had pneumonia. I had been sick, like with respiratory issues, for about a month. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm suscept- I have grew up susceptible to bronchitis, so right. I still live that way. And so I thought, oh, you know, I'm just it's a cold. It moved into bronchitis. You know, working at trying to get rid of it um, on my own. Um, et cetera. And it actually, and I'll always remember the date because it was Easter Sunday. Um, I went to church with my friends. We went out to lunch afterward, a bunch of us who are, you know, other single professional folks who live alone, et cetera, not with our families. Um, and so went to church, went to lunch, really didn't feel good and everybody kept staring at me like are you okay (laughs) you know are you good I'm like I'm just I'm exhausted I can't breathe um you know and so finished my lunch and um I had a housemate at the time 
uh, and I told, we had driven separately and I don't even remember why, to be honest, but, um, I told her, I'm like, I'm going to go home, um, and take a nap before I was supposed to be at work that night. And so, um, so I left, I drove home, got home, changed into my pajamas, got into bed. And, um, and then for that part of that afternoon, um, really like I was so exhausted. I literally could not walk from my bedroom to the kitchen to get a glass of water right. without stopping. Cause I couldn't breathe well enough to even make it that far. Wow. So I was freaked out. I was like, I knew I was sick, but I didn't know what was wrong. Um, and my housemate finally got home and, um, she eventually came into my room like within an hour of her getting home is what the way she tells it. I don't really remember it. Yeah. Um, and just told me, she goes, get up. I'm taking you to the hospital. Let's go. Um, and I now know the story of why she said that. So she, the way I parked was not anywhere near or how I would normally have parked in our driveway, hmm. um, or in the garage. Um, she said I was taking up way more than my share of space, et cetera. Yeah, so, she's pissed. Um, so she knew it was, I think it wasn't so much that as she knew there was something, something wrong, really yeah. wrong. And then when she saw me try to make it to the kitchen and I couldn't, she's like, that's it. Forget it. I'm taking you to the hospital. Let's go. Like, and I didn't argue. I just was like, you know, I don't even know how I responded or answered. So, um, fast forward. So fast forward, um, a little bit there is just, I, it, they, they admitted me to the hospital in DKA, mm -hmm. diabetic yeah. ketoacidosis. Um, and, um, pretty much I don't remember the next two days at all. People will tell me they came to visit me and that I really don't remember any of it. I think I was so out of it. Yeah. Um, because I, your body whatever. shut down. Um, yeah. so it's funny cause I asked, I think at the time, well, you know, what was my blood sugar when I came in or something? And it was only like 320, which when you hear a lot of people's yeah stories about DKA, they're like 500, 600, right? Like 320 is not that outrageous, right. really. I've been at that again. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. You can do that on a bad you know, day and miscalculating. Yeah, on a bad day, exactly. So, um, but my A1C was like 14.7 or something like Jesus that. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So you felt like shit. Yeah, pretty much. Like now, God. now I know, because now I know the signs, now that I've learned everything about what your body feels like when you're at those numbers. And I'm mm. like, holy crap, 14.7. What is that? Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah. So basically the doctor, you know, mm. came in and talked to me and um, she's like, yeah, we're pretty sure your body's not making any insulin. You type one. Um, and then try, I'm like, well, what does that mean? Cause I really, I yeah. mean, I honestly, I knew nothing. So the hospital I was in had great educators and they came and met with me every day that I was in the hospital. And you know, the How first, long were you there for? I was there six and a half days. And you think that like a normal person being diagnosed today, I'm just going to say in the children's area, sure. in and out and in 20, 48 hours. So do you think it's because of your serious DK that you were able to stay for that long and have that level of I think care? that that was probably part of it. As, as I said, I mean, honestly, I don't even remember the yeah. first two days. Yeah. So my guess is I was so far out of it. Um, I had some complications in that 
I didn't even know I had, you know, kind of thing. So I actually lost my eyesight for a couple of days. Yeah. Um, which was super freaking scary. I was like, yeah. I'm like, I've been the 2020 my whole life, right? So <laughs> to all of a sudden not be able to see and then imagine being in a hospital room and like I literally couldn't even see the TV. So yeah. I like I was so freaking bored. <laughs> it was like <laughs> I was ready to get out earlier than they let me out. But I think it was just a matter of they really wanted me back to normal numbers and yeah. in with some balance and it took a lot of back and forth testing to figure out how much insulin does she really need or not um and some of that that's what the explanation i always get about it um remember the alamo hey everyone i'm at the grocery store sorting through all the almond milks to find one with no sugar added. And it made me think of the way that most people do their shopping these days, through Amazon. All right, just wanted to go ahead and remind everyone of the best way to support the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. All you gotta do is click on the Amazon banner out on the right side of our homepage, okay, and buy your Amazon items there. Just go to diabetesdailygrind.com, okay, click on our site first, that Amazon ad on the right side, and then Amazon will send us a commission based off of whatever you buy. Doesn't matter what it is. And that helps our show keep grinding out the episodes. All right, let's get back to the show. Now in the hospital, so you're now in the hospital. You've been there for six or so days. They stabilize your blood sugar. Thank goodness. Did your eyesight come back during that period? So I could see well enough to be able to at least start by the, by the, by the end of that first week to be able to at least be watching TV and that kind of thing. I still was not really able to read the way I had been. Um, the doctor actually suggested like buying a pair of readers at the store and using that until I really regained. And I would say it took about three to four weeks Mm -hmm. actually to be back at what I would consider normal eyesight. Um, it, it really, it took that long. Well, so and the crazy thing for somebody being diagnosed for people that don't know this, but type one, of course you're, if at that point you're on insulin injections, right. you've got to think about every carb. So you've got to read labels. You are, I mean, there's to do math. You have to do math. <laughs> math. And if you need your phone to do that math, you've got to be able to operate yeah. your phone and be able to see it. So right. you had a different, I would say level of complications i don't know yeah, how to say that no, like to the average person no, being diagnosed true i think it's true plus the fact that i would say i had a support system in that i have great friends yeah um but my family's not here yeah um and i i will say like i know my mom still to this day like blames herself for not coming <laughs> like you know my friends told let it go my, mom let yeah, it go exactly my friends told her, you know, no, you know, she's fine. She's going to be just fine. She'll be okay. Um, you know, she's going to make it through this. And I was telling her that on the phone too right. and whatever. But she still to this day is like, I should have come. I should have come to San Antonio. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I've lived through it and we're all good. I don't blame you for anything. Like, I love her. Like, I think I'm, moms live know, with that guilt. My mom still says, but, I knew you were sick. I just knew there was something wrong. But yeah. did it, we had so many things going on and whatever. So I yeah. think, you know, so I think moms for, let it go. for me, just that diagnosis was a, okay, I, 
like I'm the type of person at that point I was like, okay, well this obviously happened for a reason and I better figure out everything I can possibly about this disease. And so I literally spent, so I was off of work for two weeks. Um, and so once I could see again that second (laughs) week, I think I literally spent the entire time every day, all day on the computer trying to learn. Which is good and bad because you, well, yeah, because I think I read way too much, but, um, doom and gloom just, yeah. And, and there's a lot of doom and gloom out there, unfortunately. And I, I choose to live my life pretty positively as much as I can. And, and really even at that time said, you know, um, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm a person of faith, so I really kind of looked to that a lot, too, for myself and said, you know what, I'm not going to let this be a death sentence. And and really, I credit the doctors and the educators at the hospital for not letting me think that way. Let's give a shout out to which hospital were you? It was Methodist Hospital here here in in San San Antonio. Antonio. Okay, we'll definitely put a plug in for them. And it's doctors from Diabetes and Glandular Disease Clinic. So, um, you know, and I just think that, you know, I really credit those folks for helping me to see that, you know, hey, this doesn't have to be a death sentence. You're young you know, you're yeah. going to make it through this, but yeah, you're going to be on insulin for the rest of your life. Life, there, your life has definitely changed. You know, life totally changed in an instant. Okay. I, you know, it was in an instant, right? You're all of a sudden I was having to give myself shots in my stomach. I've been the kid like who avoided shots that, <laughs> yeah. with like a plague. Right. And at this point you don't have a choice. You yeah. have to do it. If you know, you want to live so, and have a great life. Right. You have to, suck it up essentially yeah, and exactly well let me ask you really quick and moving into so now you have type 1 diabetes officially everything right. is the re-diagnosis is, is what we're calling that and so let's briefly touch on your management ryan and i talk about it often and so i'm an mdi and have been forever mm-hmm. and for those of you who don't know that's multiple daily injections ryan has always been a pumper for mm-hmm. the most part so what has been your chosen form of treatment so i am a pumper um what kind of pump do you use i use the animus vibe okay. currently all right um which combines the con- continuous glucose monitor with the pump so they have it's the same company that has the cgm and so they communicate yes so it uses a dexcom okay it uses a dexcom g4 um sensors but it reads it instead of having to carry the little transmitter with me it reads it on the pump and shows me the little graph for the whole day on the pump screen, which for me was nice because it meant I don't have to carry two items on my pockets anymore. I only have to have the one. So you're not a purse. Are you not a purse person? Um, you know, I do carry a purse occasionally, but, (laughs) but not, I mean, you can see here today I have my little bag with me. Right. So, um, I'm not big. Yeah. I'm not big on carrying. I mean, I do carry a big purse occasionally, but not, not if I'm going to go from meeting to meeting. I mean, I live a super hectic, really busy life. Um, and I wasn't willing to give that up just because I had diabetes. Thank you. So, um, and, and when I was diagnosed, um, I was working full time, working part time and had started school 
part-time. So that's a a lot, um, which, yeah, I don't really recommend it. It was kind of crazy for a while. And I actually quit the part-time job for a while. Um, I've gone back to it since, but I quit it for a while while I was working on the thesis and that kind of thing. But (laughs) I, you know, um, I led a super busy, hectic life. And when I was learning about the shots and hey, yeah, you're going to eat breakfast at seven and lunch at 12 and yeah. dinner at five and you're going to give yourself the Lantus at 10 PM every day. Yeah. And I was like, there is no way in hell yeah. <laughs> this is ever going to work in my life. Like to be able to eat at the same time every day like that, it's it unrealistic. just wasn't yeah. going to, it was not realistic in my life. And so I was badgering the doctor like from almost day <laughs> one. You have to. About like, hey, I really want to go on a pump. I really want to get the pump. And they were insistent. No, do a one year of injections right. first. Let us get your levels leveled out. Let us figure out how much insulin you right. really should be using every day, et cetera. And then we'll look at the pump. What so. insulins are you? using right now so i use humalog because i get it for free with my insurance yay um and that's it (laughs) oh yeah so um yeah with the pump you're really just using the fast acting um i know i know of a few people that kind of do a weird combo where they're on the pump but they also take the long acting insulin at night um I, Everybody's got my doctor own. never even recommended that. Right. So I never even really considered it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been on the pump since 2007. Like I did my one year and that was it. <laughs> it's I, like literally I was like in, one year yeah. of stomach injections <laughs> and let's move on. Did Only, they tell you just to give them in so, your stomach? Um, no, I mean, she suggested the behind and the leg too, but never the arms. I mean, there's so many, um, you know, she said the arm, but it's really hard to give yourself a shot in the arm. I don't know. I'll show you. I know other, I was going to say other people who I know who have diabetes have said, (laughs) eh, it's not that hard. And I'm like, all right, well. I, I don't know. Maybe I was just scared to do it. I wasn't I think a big we all shot find it, person well, to begin with. Yeah. When, when you're not a shot person. And like, my stomach, yeah. I still have enough rolls of fat that <laughs> I don't even feel We're it. We're not going to say rolls know? of fat. We're going to say have a little cushion there <laughs> right. that will allow you enough to let the insulin work for you. But So I want to shift into, because again, coming across uh, how we came across each other. Sure. Advocacy. So right. this is not a plug for the ADA, even though we are very thankful for them. But um so how did you stumble? Oh, so now you have type two and type one at one point. Right. How did you stumble across the ADA? So um, it actually started, A, with me hunting for resources online. So what was your Google um, search? What was so it? I, I think I just said type one diabetes or something like that. You know, I hope we like, pop up in that eventually. Yeah, go ahead. So um, I haven't done that Google search in a very long time. So <laughs> not sure. You guys weren't in existence back then, probably. <laughs> so um, and you know, just ADA site popped up as being. I mean, obviously JDRF site popped up too. Sure. Um, and they obviously have lots of resources as well. Um, what really ended up with my involvement with ADA is the fact that, um, so the city of San Antonio at the time, um, every year would pick a charity walk or a charity right. 5k or whatever to be the one that they push with their employees, right. To get involved in. And so 2006 just happened to be the year that the American Diabetes Association 
was their walk. So the step out walk, um, which here in San Antonio is always in October. Um, it's was, cool enough to do um, that here at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of <laughs> not always. Right. <laughs> it's not always that cool, but, um, and so, um, so my coworkers of course knew that I had been diagnosed and they're like, Hey, we can make Deirdre the team captain this year. Um, and so, um, so I think it just, it, I ended up being a team captain for step out walk and didn't really know what that meant, but yeah. went to whatever trainings they had mm-hmm. and, you know, helped. And I think I only, I don't know, maybe raised $200 or something that year. It wasn't a whole lot of money necessarily. And it was all family members who were like, okay, yeah, every dollar counts. Like, exactly. And so got involved that way. And then the following year, the city decided to do that again as their charity and asked if I'd help with the, on the planning side of it from the city's perspective of getting different departments involved and that kind of thing. And and so I was like, sure, why not? You know, I, I pretty much, when people at work ask you to do something, I don't usually turn it down because it's usually something you know, it's usually, yeah. it usually will benefit you in the long run. Absolutely. So, um, so I did that. And then the following year after that, actually ADA was like, Hey, come help us plan step out. Um, and, nice. and got me involved that way. I had been the team captain and then I had been organizing the city mm-hmm. as a whole. And so they were like, Hey, you know, do you want to help out? And I'm like, sure, I'll help however I can. Um, I've always been super involved in lots of volunteer work and volunteer mm-hmm. projects. And so I figure what it doesn't hurt to do one more, right? So, <laughs> um, and pretty much that's, um, you know, along the way, it just, it just eventually became, I was just kind of a regular volunteer, but I was showing up at everything and helping out however I could. Um, Cause, cause in my eyes, it was giving back to an organization that's given to me the yeah. fact that yeah. the amount of research and education that, that, that they as an organization provide, um, I really felt like, Hey, no, this is great for lots of people. And yeah. so, um, how can I help to get back to this organization? And if, if it's with my time, then it's with my time. Um, and so now it's been, it was about four years ago, they approached me and asked if I'd be interested in serving on our local community leadership board. Um, and each market that has an ADA has yeah. a community leadership board that helps just, it's mostly advisory capacity, to be honest, just from the perspective of people who care about people who have diabetes, whether it's people who live with it themselves, like me, right? lots of people who have parents or, but, you know, yeah, close family members, or right. family members, children, um, or whatever with the disease. And so, um, so I kind of was like, sure, you know, I'll try it. Um, and, and the question at the time was, Hey, we'd really need somebody who would be interested in doing some advocacy work. Um, and, um, and so, um, my family has a long history of general, attitude toward advocacy and doing great advocacy work in lots of different areas. Right. Um, my mom's very big in the social justice movement. And so, right. um, so, so it's a learned behavior, right? So <laughs> yeah. uh, that's and a kinda, good one, that's a really good exactly. One. I mean, that's kind of the way I look at it is, okay, well I grew up around it. So sure. I'll be an advocate. I'll, you know, um, no problem. Let me see what I can do. So, 
Um, and it's been, for me, it's, it's been great um, for a lot of reasons mm-hmm. and in a lot of different ways. So um, I've been able to go to Washington, D.C. Um, a few times on behalf of the organization, which for me is great because it means a trip home because that's, yeah. that's home for me. Um, that's where my parents are um, and where I grew up. And so it's, it's this extra trip home each year. Okay, <laughs> but look- I get to go to... Capitol Hill. <laughs> yeah. So, well, um, I want to throw in two last things before we wrap up this podcast. One, I in reading the brief inf- a bit of information that you were kind enough to send to me is that your diabetes philosophy. I'm going to quote you, and then I'll let you chime in. I chose to continue living my life instead of seeing my diagnosis as a death sentence. So my feeling is that I am not a diabetic, but rather a person living with diabetes. And why I bring this up is that now. I'm going to say, being somebody that talks about my life, I have diabetic tattooed on my arm. Mm-hmm. And only in the past 24 months have I really realized that sometimes that word is seen as a bad word. And they reference it in the medical community as, um, instead of being epileptic, I can't say that word without my mouth guard. <laughs> but um, I'm, a per- I'm Amber, and I have diabetes. This right. disease does not define me. So why did you put that in your diabetes philosophy? And I really... Like for me, it's very similar to that. And I do think, I I think way too often diabetic as an adjective or (laughs) however we want to look at it, it is looked upon super negatively. Um, and, um, and it goes back to, as you mentioned earlier, talking about that idea of, um, especially for people diagnosed with type two, mm-hmm. that feeling of shame and that feeling of, okay, I did something wrong to give myself. And there's so many misunderstandings about how right. we get diabetes, um, whether it's type one or type two. For and we're learning matter. something new every day about um, it. And we are, but there's still people out there. Oh, if you eat too much candy, yeah. you're going to have diabetes. Well, yeah. no, and not even type two if you eat too much candy. <laughs> right. So, um, so I think that because that word is seen so negatively, right. and because I choose to, I, I choose to say that I live with diabetes yeah. as opposed to saying, oh, I have it, or I was. I don't even use the diagnosis. I mean, I talk yeah. about my diagnosis story, but I don't usually say, oh, I was diagnosed with diabetes or I have this disease. Or, right. And sometimes I do. You know what? Sometimes I'm like, crap, like this is ridiculous. I'm so tired of it. I, you know, like, can I just have a day where I don't have to prick my finger or, you know, stick my stomach or whatever? But, um, or even a couple hours, to be honest, yeah, like right. a couple hours would be great to have that break. But, um, but so I really, it, it's a matter of, I live my life with diabetes. Right. I, it, it's something that I don't have a choice about. It's there. It's going to be there the rest of my life. There is nothing I can do to get yeah. rid of it unless I, you know, somehow get a pancreas transplant at some point, but which, you know, we interviewed somebody that's a possibility. And, and you know, there's so many people who are way more sick than I am that I'm sure I'm way down on the list. (laughs) (laughs) So like, I'm never going to be, I'm probably never, um, I, I, because I live with it. And I think that's a piece of it for me. I choose to control it as much as I can. And I try to have as tight of control as I possibly can. But as Be- you said earlier, you, you do realize that you can look at something wrong and you're, it'll affect your blood sugar. There are some oh, days yeah. where you get it or you don't. And yes, you do the best definitely. that you can. Oh yeah. Last night, 
I hit 58. I, I was like, okay, um, I don't know what I did because I ate about 50 yeah. grams of carbohydrate. I actually ate an extra cookie that I hadn't counted in the <laughs> number of carbs. Um, and yet I still, two hours later, was at 58. And, and I look back and I'm like, okay, was there a lot of fat in the meal? Because fat will slow yeah. down and make the numbers go lower. I'm like, no, you know, it was Chipotle chicken i mean it wasn't like some days you you know but some days there's no explanation for it um i will say especially for those of us who are women um (laughs) that that certain days of month um affect it greatly um you know um we talk about this a lot yeah no so i mean you know certain days a month and this week happens to be that week so it's i'm sure that that contributed to it yesterday well let me ask you and just because we brought this up is that you learn certain things in the endo i have a OBGYN. i have my regular right. i have my dermatologist not everybody yeah, is communicating right i mean everybody has their series of doctors but did anybody tell you about the fluctuation in your diabetes management because of your hormones through having your period Right. So what I would say about that is that never in any direct terms, but because I've asked questions, good for you. I get the answer. So, and there's a couple people. So I, when I go to the endocrinologist, I also see somebody in the education department yeah. regularly. Smart. Um, and so that person who I currently see also lives with type 1 diabetes. It's a bonus. And so that Probably. is a huge bonus yeah. to have a diabetes educator who also lives with the disease, um, who also is a pumper, who also, so I feel like, you know, and is around my age. Yeah. I I don't, I've never asked her exactly how old she is, but my guess is she's somewhere in my same age range. And so, so in some ways looking to somebody like that, I, I feel comfortable to ask some of those weird, odd questions. Hmm. Um, I will say there are things that we, we're not, that we live with. Well, we live with and we're not, trained I feel like when you're diagnosed the disease at any age these are I mean nobody's telling you these things no they're not and I will say my OBGYN asks how controlled I am right but that's the extent of her questions with regards to the diabetes she hasn't she'll ask well you know are you sleeping okay and like but she's talking in generalities and the hormone levels and because i'm in my middle 40s asking those questions now she's starting to ask those questions um but but it was never so much to give me any kind of education on it so so she asks about it so she she still has a knowledge and a concern about it um, the dermatologist does more for drug interaction than yeah. anything else. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I don't go often enough to the primary care for her to ask me anything, to be honest. <laughs> like it's, it's so sad. It's like, you know, you go to an endocrinologist on a regular basis and she does all the blood work. So yeah. I kind of feel like if I'm not sick, do I really need <laughs> yeah. to see the primary care? And they're going to send it to the primary care. Uh, you know I'm I mean? Like, like do you yeah, yeah, exactly. So sick-ish. I'm kind of like, unless, unless I'm really sick, the only times I've really ever gone to primary care, like if I'm really sick, like right. I think I need antibiotics or like when I had plantar fasciitis, <laughs> like, <laughs> those are like the two times I think I've been to the primary care in the last 
10 years. I, that's really sad to say no, in some ways, but you, you got, I think yeah. because I go to the endocrinologist on a regular basis, very regular basis that it, and she checks the heart rate and she, she does ch- the checks the pulse and you know, she's still pressure, checking the yeah. blood pressure and the thyroid uh. and you know, the thyroid's kind of one of those continual watches because of my family history. And really most other people I know with diabetes are getting their thyroids checked on a regular basis so, too. Yeah, so um, and asking about my eating habits and things like that. All things so. intertwined. Well, let me, I'm going to wrap up this podcast with a couple of personal questions about diabetes and sure. your regular life. But so we often talk about everybody with, when they're diagnosed is said, is told if you stay within 80 to 120, those are normal ranges, but they want you to be of course, lower, closer to 80 to live a healthy life. I feel my best at my goal is 111 for every day. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm going into a stressful situation, I want it a little higher. I mean, so there's, and Ryan going into a test is different. So what's your goal every day? So my, that's funny that you said 111 because my goal every day is 110. Yeah. Um, and that is really where I feel the most comfort is yeah. between 100 and 110. Yeah. Um, my, I'm, I'm still okay when I'm from like 70 to about 120 or 130, I don't really feel any kind of effects, I would say, um, of those numbers. The doctor doesn't like me to be, she's actually the one who's more strict than anybody else. She's the one saying, no, between 90 and 120, that's it, period. She didn't want to see me anywhere else. Um, I have my pump settings for low set at 80 and for high set at 160. you know, so that I can adjust and make yeah. adjustments if I need to, if I'm going above that or below that. I'll say that I probably have occasions where, I mean, at least two or three times a week where I'm over that 160 after I ate something. It's normal. <laughs> um, you know, exactly. And I feel like that's totally normal, but I try as best I can to yeah. stay in that window of 70 to 160 or 80 to 160. Um, but I, I struggle a lot with exercise. <laughs> I feel like 10 years later, I'm still trying to learn how to do it. I've finally figured out some formulas for myself, Mm -hmm. especially with races. I I try to do at least one 5K race, like an organized one every month. Um, And on race day, I know I'm like, okay, if when I start that race, I better be around 180 or I'm going to totally crash. Um, and that's even with turning basil off and things like that. Um, and so I know myself well enough, you know, um, if I go, if I show up at the gym and I'm only at 90, it, this sounds counterintuitive, but I'm like eating in order to work out. That sounds so ridiculous. It's, no, you got um, to, you but, have to. but for those of us who live with diabetes, we don't have a choice about yeah. that. So, um, and I've found, I've finally found, I think like most of the time, depending on what exercise I'm doing, of course, um, you know, I drop anywhere from 50 to 80 points during exercise so which is why i'm like okay so i need to be at like 180 to start so i don't 
like totally bottom out. bottom out and crash. And I've done it before. Um, I thankfully um, have never passed out. I have never been so low that I fainted or passed yeah. out. And I'm glad for that. I live by myself. Me so too. it scares me a little bit sometimes. Um, but I have friends who keep in regular contact and they know if they haven't heard from me, they better figure out what's going on. Well, but, here's the thing with, I want to um, throw something in on that because as somebody like my, we're close in age. I live by myself and my, I just read an article about the fact that my endocrinologist, I had a low in the middle of the night at like 36. Mm -hmm. I am lucky enough. I feel like being diagnosed so early in my life that I still am able to sense the lows. Mm -hmm. I pop out of bed, eat a couple of glucose tabs, drink a little bit of Gatorade and go back to bed. And I, I don't feel like that's, that could be a Tuesday or a month later on a Wednesday. It doesn't matter. I'm thankful so, right. and she put the, wanted to put some fear in me. You need a glucagon shot. You need to have a blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what? I refuse to live in fear. I, I would agree with you. I think we're very similar on that. I think I've had not so much the doctor as much. Cause you know, honestly, I'm trying to think if she even realizes or knows that I live by myself. <laughs> um, but friends, you know, yeah. who are melt, they're well-meaning, yeah. so I don't fault them, but they're like, well, you know, like Dexcom has share and you know, you could set that up. And I'm like, yeah, but share to who? Because right. honestly, like in the my, my mom Anna. is 2000, <laughs> my mom's 2000 miles away. You know, my, yeah, who are you I have with? friends, but my friends aren't going to wait up in the middle of the night just because my blood sugar is low I, and, <laughs> and even if they do what are they gonna do <laughs> okay let me throw <laughs> throw in this beyond type one i'm giving them a plug because there is a they have set up this whole online diabetes community and today i received an email saying there are people in my community that have adult type one uh -huh. so you can communicate with each other so that might be like a soundboard for you yeah. hey let's all for those of you who are single is that creepy? Like set each other up that because they would know what uh, to do. That's true. So that's yeah. random. That's interesting. I have to look that up. I, will I don't put think that I've ever been notes. on that on that site. So let's check that out. I will definitely put you in but, contact. But with yeah, them. so I mean, occasionally I try really hard not to live in fear. Yeah. But occasionally I I I have you know as I think anybody would who's single and living on their own just is you know that I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, I mean so yeah, exactly. I'm like, I live really close to the main road. I'm like, <laughs> right. you know, I'm like somebody could just come wandering in my house one day. I don't know, you know, but I, but at the same time, it's a matter of, and, and, you know, I li I live in a multifamily a house that's multifamily units. Right? Yeah. And I haven't told my neighbors don't know. I have, you diabetes, probably should, but I, I really keep thinking like, I really should just tell one of them, like, just so they know, you know, in case I ever hear something odd inside my apartment. But, um, but yeah, I mean, all my good friends, I'm never scared to share it. Yeah. I, I feel like for me, that's an aware, that's a piece of advocacy. Yeah. It, it's the education awareness. The more people who are aware of this disease and know what to look for and know those signs, the less people that would ever be in my situation of yeah. what happened to me. So, um, so I try to tell as many people, but I think it's weird. Your neighbors, I don't know. 
I know. Like, we don't all know our neighbors super right? well, right? Like, hi, how do I, so I have hi, so diabetes. I just want to tell you I have diabetes. If right? you hear so. a loud clump and I, or a loud noise and I hit the ground, please call nine. I mean, well, it's like, actually kind of funny because I told my friends, I, I really want to do, so I still do the step out walk every year um, and I still raise money as a part of it. And so I keep joking. I just moved to my apartment only two months ago. And so I keep joking. I'm like, I'm going to have a big party and it's going to be a fundraiser. <laughs> But, you know, everybody wants to see the house, right? Because you just moved in. And so I'm like, I'm going to make it a fundraiser, though. So if you come, slash housewarming. you know, it's fundraiser slash housewarming. Don't bring me anything. Just donate, right? And I'm like, oh, I That's can invite cool. my neighbors That's <laughs> to come to that. Yeah. And then they'll find out, right? <laughs> That's a really, I think, a good way of easing people into it. Hmm. So I want to wrap up with one last thing. So if you were to tell the diabetes online community, especially someone who's newly diagnosed as an adult with this disease, what words of advice would you give? Wow. Um, so number one, see the specialist, go see an endocrinologist. I know I talked about that earlier, but, um, that, that really number two, don't see it. It's not a death sentence. And I really, it's, it, it is, in today's world, it is very easy to live with diabetes um, and to live. I, you know, I, I think, I, I thank God every day that I have great insurance, and I know that's yeah. an issue for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I would say that even if you didn't have great insurance, there's still ways that you can make it work um, in order to, to live with this disease. Um, and the other thing is, I think, not to be shamed by it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty open and free with it. I will generally, around brand new people, ask if they mind if I prick my finger before <laughs> I just do it in right. front of them. I um, Mainly because I have a couple of family members and a friend who are like, deathly scared of blood right or needles um yeah or the both the combination of both right and so i know the people that i cannot do it in front (laughs) of right so um because i tend to just whip it out and do it at the dinner table and then whip out the pump and start programming (laughs) it you know because i don't think about it um but there are a couple of people who i do try to think about it in front of but so so i think that you know I, i think not being afraid to show that you have it um to me, that's a piece of helping to stop the epidemic too. Yeah. I think if people would talk about it um, as much as they talk about anything else, I mean, right? Like we've all had those kinds of things. I mean, mm-hmm. through the years, I mean, people never talked about HIV, but now people are willing to talk about it. Yeah. So I, I think there's all kinds of things along the way. So I think we have to not be afraid to talk about it. And there's nothing to be ashamed basis. of. I think that's no, one of the messages too, I think we're all about is you didn't do anything, especially if you have type one. Yeah. Um, there's nothing different probably that you could have done. They're still trying, of course, to figure, figure out, out what it is. why yeah. the heck we as adults are getting it. But, um, you know, who knows any other, I mean, there's so many autoimmune issues out there in general in today's world, but type one's just one of them. Yeah, exactly. Well, I want to thank you, Deirdre for, joining the show especially in, like literally we face to face for the first time in the past hour and a half and yeah. um, less than 24 hours of communication via email so thank you for taking time and you're leaving tomorrow morning right I am my cousin's getting married this weekend and so <laughs> I'm getting on a plane tomorrow to go to New York for the Woo! weekend so well, I'm that's, excited that's awesome yeah. 
And uh, we hope to hear more from the San Antonio community as I will be back on a regular basis. And so I'm going to thank also the San Antonio branch of the ADA, American Diabetes Association, for jumping on this opportunity is the second that I reached out. So we appreciate the advocacy and um, keep doing what you're doing. Great. Thank you. Well, you too. I, I mean, we appreciate blogs and podcasts like these uh, as well. So We're just doing our best to um, provide real support for the diabetes life. And so I'm going to end with saying to everybody out there, cheers to the highs and lows. You got to watch what you're eating. You got to watch it every day. What do you call it? What do you call it? Is it diabetes or diabetes? Where in the world is Amber Clure these days? That is the $6 question. While she's out interviewing folks in San Antonio, I'm over here in the library reading about the minutiae of cholelithiasis and cholidocolithiasis. Such is life these days. Uh, but really, though, I, uh, I love that someone else is out there as the subject of her questioning for once. Uh, just kidding. Amber. I know I'm about to get a text from her. Any second. Anyways, let's get to the iTunes review. I love this one. And we picked up a couple of new ones this week. So we got two new t-shirts to send out to these two folks. If they shoot us an email to info at diabetesdailygrind.com. Um, and we're also going to put a picture of that t-shirt, our, our new t-shirts up in the show notes. So if you're interested and you want verification that these t-shirts exist and that you're going to get one if you leave a review, we're going to put it in the show notes. So all you got to do is just go to diabetesdailygrind.com, click on the show notes. All right, here is today's iTunes review winner. It comes from Jmart444, okay, titled, Two Great Personalities, Two Great Voices, Five Stars. Thank you. Here's his review or her review. These two hosts are enjoyable and laid back. They make living with diabetes a little easier. All right, Jmart444, thank you. Send us an email, info at diabetesdailygrind.com. We will get you a T-shirt. Once again, we love hearing from everybody on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find us at Diabetes Grind. Uh, Big shout-out to everyone. We love the DOC. We love being in it, and it only becomes more fun as we go along. So to another episode, we say cheers to the highs and lows.